Blog Talk Radio.
Greetings, this is Abayomi Azikawe, and welcome back to another edition of the Pan-African Journal. The Pan-African Journal is an audio news magazine. It's brought to you here on a weekly basis. Uh, I am your host, uh, Abayomi Azikawe. Today is uh, Saturday, October the 14th, 2023. Uh, we're broadcasting from our studios in downtown Detroit. Later on in our program, we'll be bringing you our regular Pan-African Newswire report. This episode features an in-depth analysis of the worsening crisis in West Asia, looking at the upsurge of clashes in Palestine and the implications for North Africa and other geopolitical regions. We will listen to a discussion on the character of media coverage of the current conflict, a speech uh, we will listen to by South African Foreign Minister Nalidi Pandora and her perspective on the world situation, and we hear statements uh, from some of the key players in uh, the con- contemporary unrest. These and other features will be brought to you uh, during the course of our program. Stay tuned. We're going to take our musical interlude uh, with the revolutionary music of Egypt from Um Kalsum. This is a, a live concert recording from 60 years ago in 1963. Let's listen in.
شكل الزمن
Welcome back. And uh, that was uh, the voice of Um Kaltum uh, from Egypt, uh, the revolutionary music uh, of uh, the North African state of Egypt, uh, bordering on, of course, uh, Palestine, the Rafa crossing we have been hearing about uh, between uh, Palestine and Egypt. It is there in North Africa and West Asia. And uh, right now we want to move into our Pan-African Newswire segment of our program. And these are some of the headlines in today's uh, Pan-African Newswire. In day eight uh, of the siege on Gaza, according to the Palestine Chronicle staff, numbers uh, paint a horrific picture of what Israeli airstrikes and shelling of Gaza have done to the already besieged isolated strip. 400,000 have been displaced, and many more are on the run, while the number of dead and wounded is now measured in the thousands, mostly perished inside the overt 1,300 buildings that have been destroyed so far, according to the United Nations. Yet the resistance continues. The Palestinian Ministry of Health says the number of Palestinians killed and wounded in the Israeli war on Gaza rose from 2,215 killed 8,714 wounded in the West Bank, 54 have been killed, and more than 1,100 have been wounded. The Al Jazeera correspondents in Gaza indicate that 100 Palestinians killed in Gaza in a single hour, including 20 people in a single strike in Deir al-Balah, 18 in Khan Yunus, including three young brothers and a mother with all of her children. Muslim authorities in Gaza issued a decree allowing Palestinians to bury their dead in mass graves, though traditionally it is not consistent uh, with Islamic beliefs. Palestinian medical sources say that we will not leave the hospitals, even if Israel continues to threaten to target all medical centers. Doctors and their families are being targeted and killed uh, by the Israeli army. We call on the world to urgently pressure Israel open a humanitarian corridor to evacuate patients out of Gaza. From Saudi Arabia, the foreign minister, Prince Faisal bin Farhan, discussed uh, with his Chinese counterpart, Wang Yi, developments in the situation in Gaza and its surroundings. The Saudi news agency said that Prince Farhan urged his Chinese counterpart to work for the Security Council to fulfill its role in imposing a ceasefire in Gaza. Israeli uh, aircraft bombed Al-Mahata area in Khan Yunus, south of the Gaza Strip, with a number of missiles. Two civilians uh, killed in Israeli bombings of a residential building in Shiba in southern Lebanon. The head of the political bureau of the Islamic resistance movement Hamas, Ismail Haniya, said that the people of Gaza are rooted in their land and the resistance marked the beginning of the demise of the occupation. Israeli occupation aircraft continue their violent bombardment of residential neighborhoods in Gaza City and the outskirts of Biet Lahia. Israeli bombing targeted a house inside the town of Shiba in southern Lebanon. The Saudi Foreign Minister Prince Faisal bin Farhan affirmed the kingdom's categorical rejection of calls for the forced displacement of the Palestinian people from Gaza. 
expressing his condemnation of targeting civilians in any form. The Al-Qassam brigades uh, have footage of an attack on Israeli military units east of Khan Yunus. 25 have been killed and 100 wounded in an Israeli bombing that targeted a house in Shati Beach refugee camp in Gaza. The Red Cross spokesman in Jerusalem told Al Jazeera that he is deeply concerned about the humanitarian situation in Gaza, stressing that the Red Cross is unable to deliver aid to the residents of the Strip. The United States State Department said that Secretary Antony Blinken discussed with his Saudi counterpart, Prince Basal bin Farhan, continued communication with regional partners to prevent the expansion of the conflict in the Gaza Strip. Israeli military planes evacuated diplomats and foreign nationals the state of Israel. Israel's Air Force confirmed that it was continuing its attacks on sites in southern Lebanon in response to the firing of 30 mortar shells towards the state of Israel. Dozens of Israelis demonstrated in front of the headquarters of the Israeli Ministry of Defense in Tel Aviv to demand the dismissal of Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and the release of prisoners in Gaza. The Al-Qassam Brigade said that it bombed Ben Gurion Airport with a missile salvo in response to the Israeli occupation targeting of civilians in Gaza. The Turkish uh, media says, we deploy Israel's targeting of defenseless civilians in Gaza and look forward to a permanent solution in Palestine. Egyptian Foreign Minister Sami Shukri said that Egypt shares with Turkey our vision of the importance of working to overcome the dangerous effects of the Israeli bombings on the Palestinians in Gaza. The Algeria Al Jazeera uh, correspondent confirmed hearing the sounds of large explosions in the sky of Tel Aviv after the Palestinian resistance announced the bombing of the greater Tel Aviv with missiles. The World Health Organization Regional Director, Dr. Ahmed Al-Mandari, told Al Jazeera that the evacuation of seriously ill patients from Gaza Hospital is tantamount to a death certificate. The Gaza Health Ministry uh, said that 10 paramedics were killed and 27 others were injured as a result of being directly targeted by the Israeli occupationist forces. The ministry added in a statement that the occupation forces destroyed 23 ambulances since the start of the aggression and bombed 15 hospitals in the Gaza Strip, directly or indirectly, two of which stopped service. United States President Joe Biden said that Washington is working with Israel, Egypt, Jordan, and the United Nations to resume the flow of humanitarian aid to the Gaza Strip and respect the law of war. United Nations uh, Special Rapporteur, the United Nations Rapporteur on Human Rights in the Occupied Palestinian Territories, Francisca Abenis, warned of ethnic cleansing of Palestinians in the Gaza Strip and called for an immediate ceasefire. Abenis added that the great, great danger the sector is witnessing may be a repetition of the 1948 catastrophe and the 1967 catastrophe on a broader scale. The Palestinian resistance launched new batches of missiles towards Zahim, Ashkelon, Surat, and other Israeli towns in the northern Gaza Strip in response to the Israeli massacres against civilians. 
Gaza Ministry of Interior said that 20 Palestinians were killed and 80 injured in an airstrike that targeted a house in the Jabalia refugee camp. The Al-Qasim Brigades said that nine new Israelis currently held in Gaza were killed uh, by Israeli airstrikes. Clashes between Hezbollah and Israeli forces with medium weapons and machine guns in the vicinity of the Israeli Ruatziat al-Am site took place in southern Lebanon. Hezbollah's artillery bombed Israeli military sites in the occupied Sheba Farms, including the Israeli raid radar site in the Sheba Farms. The government media office in Gaza called on the Egyptian government to make efforts to stop the Israeli aggression and open the Arafah crossing in both directions for humanitarian aid. Five Israeli military sites uh, on the border with Lebanon are currently under mortar fire. Armed clashes have broken out and explosions are being heard. The Palestinian Red Crescent said they call on the international community to intervene to stop the Israeli decision to evacuate Al-Quds Hospital in Gaza. The Saudi Arabian Foreign Minister Prince Faisal bin Fahan said that, quote, there must be a ceasefire in Gaza and the humanitarian crisis must be addressed, unquote. Residents of Jabalia Camp, north of Gaza, marched in support of the Palestinian resistance in the face of the escalating Israeli aggression. More than 700 children have lost their lives in Gaza since the IDF bombing began. Two million people in Gaza are running out of water, and this is a matter of life and death. 90% of Israeli bombing targets are homes and residential buildings in the Strip. Lebanese Ministry of Foreign Affairs said uh, earlier today, Saturday, that it will submit a complaint to the United to the Security Council regarding the killing and wounding of two journalists by Israeli forces fired yesterday, Friday. An Air Force plane was hit by an anti-tank missile fired by Hamas fighters. The Qatari Foreign Ministry said that Doha categorically rejects attempts to forcibly displace the brotherly Palestinian people from the Gaza Strip. An intense exchange of fire took place with a cell that attempted to infiltrate Israel and fired anti-tank missiles. An agreement has been reached allowing foreigners to leave Gaza from the Rafah border crossing uh, that is supposed to take place uh, tomorrow. A senior U.S. State Department official said that the United States is working with Egypt, Israel, and Qatar to open the Rafah crossing from Gaza to e Egypt on Saturday. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said that it is very important to work with partners to avoid the extension of the current crisis in the Gaza Strip. He added, quote, it is very important to protect civilians, and we are working with partners to achieve this, unquote. Sirens have sounded uh, while uh, all day long in the Upper Galilee on suspicion of a march violating Israeli airspace. The Al-Qasim Brigade, the armed wing of Hamas, said that its fighters crossed the separation fence in Khan Yunus and attacked the enemy and destroyed three Israeli military vehicles. Israel's order to evacuate the hospital is madness and is a death sentence for dozens of patients. That's according to the hospital director, Kamal Adwan. The Gaza Health Ministry said that, that dozens of Palestinians were killed and wounded in a new massacre in Deir al-Bala as a result of an Israeli bombing of a residential square.
these are just some of the coverage, uh, round-the-clock coverage uh, from the Pan-African Newswire on the current situation in West Asia, in Palestine, and in North Africa. That's going to conclude um, this segment of the Pan-African Newswire. We would like to remind our listeners that the Pan-African Newswire is an international electronic press service. It is designed to foster intelligent discussions on the affairs of African people throughout the continent and the world. The press agency was founded in January of 1998. Since then, it has published tens of thousands of articles and dispatches in numerous newspapers, hundreds of newspapers, in fact, magazines, journals, research reports, and on blogs and websites throughout the world. The Pan-African Newswire represents the only daily international news source on Pan-African and global affairs. If you'd like to log on to the Pan-African Newswire so you can stay abreast of some of the most pressing and burning issues of the day, just go to our website at panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com. And uh, if you'd like to listen to today's Pan-African Journal, Worldwide radio broadcast for Saturday, October the 14th, 2023. Go to the Pan-African Radio Network. That's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. We'll take a break. We'll be back with more of the Pan-African Journal for this week.
voice of the Black Panther Party, Elaine Brown, from the album entitled Seize the Time, released in 1969. We're going to return uh, to our coverage uh, related to the siege of Gaza that is backed and financed uh, by the United States, being carried out uh, by the Israeli Defense Forces. Let's listen to Ishmael Haniyeh, uh, the political leader uh, of uh, the Hamas resistance movement in Palestine. We are going to cross live now to a senior leader of Hamas who is speaking now. The lands and territories of Gaza and all over the Palestinian territories, they have written the history of Al-Aqsa flood. They have put the right beginning to eliminate the occupation. We need no more occupation to our land, sanctuaries, and our Aqsa. This resistance, in every single hour, in every single moment, they go and they hit everywhere in the heart of this Zionist criminal regime. The Zionist regime didn't manage, despite the army and the weapons, to face our brave men. So the Zionist regime is now committing this genocide, burned land, and the attempts to relocate our people in Gaza. And the Zionist regime thinks that these crimes, these brutal crimes, barbaric crimes committed by this regime will eliminate the disgrace of being defeated and of being broken with the start of the strategic Qassam attack on the 7th of October. But no way. This attack will never eliminate all the tools of oppression and killing and the political consequences, security consequences, media consequences. But I can say that this Al-Qassam attack has put an end to this policy and to these Zionist plans of this fascist government in Israel against our prisoners, against our people in Gaza, West Bank, against the Palestinian people everywhere. We will start and resume the strategy of freedom with the help of Allah Almighty. Our enemy today is doing what he's doing with the support, and I feel sorry to say with the support of the American administration and some European countries, because they have this double uh, understanding and uh, double vision. They are now going back, by the way, but they still think that what is being done by the Zionist regime, the psychological war, and the spreading papers and, and this here and there to our people, that our people will relocate, will immigrate, will be displaced, but no way. It's a dream. The people of Gaza 
are adhering to the lands, adhering to the nations, they will never leave Gaza. They will never immigrate whatsoever done by you, the killers, the criminals. We have only one line to return back to our territories, to our houses, to the land of our grandparents. It is not far away. It's within hands. This attack, the strategic attack by Al-Qassam against you, says that the freedom and our return is very close with the help of Allah Almighty. That's why I, a big salute to our people in Gaza, a big salute to those with their blood, with the fire, are facing the killing machine, the barbaric machine, the fascist machine of the Zionist regime. They are adhering and they are committed to their houses, to their mosques, to their land, marches everywhere. Yesterday, under the threat of the war planes to salute the resistance, to salute Al-Qassam brigades, and to stress that we are here, we will stay here in our nation as long as life is there. This is the stand, and this is the situation that should be mentioned in the, in the honor list of the Palestinian people. Today, Gaza is facing the fire, but still Gaza is saying its historic word. Gaza is placing the right place of the Palestinians in their lands and the dignity of the Palestinians. No immigration from Gaza, no relocation from the West Bank, no immigration from Gaza to Egypt. And here, I need to appraise the stand of our brothers in Egypt who are confirming that Egypt is a sisterly country and is a supporting country. Egypt welcomes the sons and daughters of the Palestinian people, but under no name such as immigration or relocation. I'm telling my brothers in Egypt, our decision is to stay in our land. That's why your decision is our decision, and we will face the Zionist plans supported by the U.S. administration. It will be a big failure. Our stand and our unified stand and our solidarity, the Arab solidarity, the Islamic solidarity, the world solidarity from the free people all over the four corners of the world. They talk about the civilians, they shed tears about the elderly and the kids and the women, and they are trying by all means to not to say the right word about what's going on. We belong to our religion, we belong to our ethics, and Hamas has always been keen not to target the civilians, not to target the civilians despite everything done by the Zionist regime. Hamas 
is part of this great nation. Hamas is a freedom movement that belongs to these ethics, to these religion, to these ethics. And what do you think about the killing of civilians from the Palestinian side? Where are you when our children are being killed? Massacres are being committed in our lands. The destruction of all houses and homes. What do you think of the destruction and demolition of the mosques and the buildings and the infrastructure? What is your stand and what is your position when you see the Israelis killing, not now, before, different nationals from different countries, Palestinians and other citizenships from other countries on the Palestinian territories. That's why the movement will never shake. The movement will never shake. Hamas will never shake in front of these media machines that are only telling lies. And there are some of these media outlets are absorbed by the uh, Israeli narrative. But very soon they will discover their reality. Because the that is senior Hamas leader Ismail Haniya saying they will never leave Gaza, standing defiant. Uh, in the face of a potential imminent uh, attack from Israel. Uh, which that was uh, one of the political leaders of the Hamas resistance movement, uh, Ishmael Hania, speaking on the current siege of Gaza by the Israeli Defense Forces that is backed uh, by uh, the United States government, uh, Britain, the European Union, NATO, and all reactionary and imperialist uh, powers throughout the world. Right now, we want to listen to a discussion uh, from Spotlight that aired yesterday on the current situation in Gaza. Over 700 children murdered. This type of fatality is truly hard to absorb, but that is what Israel has done with U.S. bombs and support, including European officials. As Europeans and people from all walks of life have poured onto the streets in solidarity with Palestinians, a great divide between them and their politicians and leaders has become even more evident that they are supporting an Israeli regime and its massacres. Meanwhile, incidents in the OPT, the occupied Palestinian territories, have increased, which could be another front that Israel has to deal with. This on top of the evacuation orders that Israel has announced for one million Palestinians to leave northern Gaza Strip into the southern part of the Gaza Strip, a move condemned by many Palestinians and Persian Gulf Arab countries. First, let me introduce our guest for this edition of the Spotlight. Khalid Kadumi, the Hamas representative here in Iran, joins us from Tehran. Also, Sayyid Mohsen Abbas, who's a journalist and political commentator, joins us from London. Khaled Kadumi, I'll first start with you. Um, I can't help but start out with the uh, unfortunate humanitarian stat that has still rattled the cages of anybody who has any type of emotion uh, or sense within their psyche, and that is the fact that you have 700 children that, are, that have been murdered. Israel says that it tries to prevent civilian casualties. Do you believe Israel? 
Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Thank you for having me. Who believes Israel except those barbaric super forces in the world? Top of them is the Blinken and so-called democratic uh, democrat uh, uh, government in United States of America. This massacre, mass massacre, has been perpetrated during the presence of the uh, American uh, Foreign Secretary uh, yesterday in Tel Aviv, uh, while the uh, Israeli army has thrown leaflets over the people, threatening them uh, to move forcefully from their places. Our people, they are deep-rooted in our homeland in Palestine, so they did not listen. But unfortunately, some of innocent humans, they moved from an, a house of, 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 to, to other house in the, in the next street. Uh, um, according to this threatening, the result was a massacre by, created by the bombardment of Israeli a criminal army. And at that time, uh, we, we received 70 martyrs and more than 250 injured uh, because of that thing. This is the actual face of Israel. Israel is an entity which has been initiated based on fabricated narratives and lies. Uh, the news that I want to uh, recite to you, Seymour Mohsen Abbas, is uh, about the Israeli Prime Minister, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, who visited uh, the Israeli regime forces on the front line, on the border front line, and uh, this is what he said. Are you ready for what is coming? More is coming, when turning to reporters. Uh, what uh, does that say about the face of the Israeli uh, regime? Well, it says that they, uh, they are infanticidal maniacs. They're um, ethnic cleansing. They've been doing that for decades and uh, decades. There's a genocidal uh, tinge to everything that they do. They want to depopulate, it seems. That's, uh, that's the, uh, the, the track record of this, uh, this regime. And now you've got the worst iteration ever seen with some of the most uh, diabolically uh, you know, right-wing fascist um, Zionists that you can imagine. I mean, the whole movement is, is that way, but if you could imagine it getting any worse, well, you've got it with uh, the, the present government's uh, makeup. Now, you know, infanticide, I don't use words like this lightly. When you listen to the idea, the, the, the figures, you know, six, 700 plus children bombed smithereens, you know, uh, at least, uh, if you like, half the total number, 1,900 you've quoted so far and counting, um, are, are also women, actually women and children. So what else do you want me to say? Infanticide is exactly what uh, Benjamin Netanyahu was talking about when he was revving up his kind of uh, his stormtroopers. And this is basically exactly out of almost like a Hollywood movie. That's where he seems to be playing out his this nightmarish reality for, for Palestinians because they are. Uh, the, the, they are the, uh, the, the galactic empire, which literally wants to smash to smithereens this oppressed uh, people. I mean, they don't, can't even stand them being there uh, in any shape and form by the looks of things now. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, basically egged on by the Americans and by the Anglo-Zionist uh, uh, empire itself. So these people really, 
what can one say? I mean, they were not so long ago harping on about how the Palestinians weren't into the idea of a two-state solution and they weren't being peaceful or, you know, all these kind of, these kinds of nonsense red herrings that they kept the Palestinians dangling with. And now the first time that they've actually had uh, the fist of the Palestinian right. resistance uh, hit them, uh, they seem to be uh, going genocidal even more. Sure. Well, Khaled Karoumi, what has happened, uh, which is, uh, in a sense, extraordinary, uh, we had the uh, Hamas political bureau chief come and make statements on uh, what has occurred and basically praising the Palestinians who did not heed the uh, warning for that evacuation from the north to the southern part of the Gaza Strip. And you have countries that actually have come out and uh, supported uh, the fact that this should not happen. There's the comparisons being made to another uh, second intifada and that Palestinians as a um, as Mahania stated, are not going to give up their land. This is their land. Why should they pick up from their land and go somewhere else? Um, but for the countries to come out and support them in that way, uh, what does that say about uh, what appears to be a defeat for Israel in terms, at least up to this point, in terms of what it has requested the uh, Palestinians to do? Actually, uh, this is the second appearance for Ismail Haniya since 7th of October. And in both of his speech, he was drafting milestones in the confrontation against the Israeli enemy. Today, he came with few uh, important concepts. One is the call for our people not to listen to the threatening and fabricating story by the enemy, because yesterday it was evident that the enemy cannot be believed. Second, he called uh, upon uh, the uh, uh, international community to prevent the forced transfer uh, of our people from their homeland because uh, this will not be allowed. Third is to appreciate the stance of Egyptians to refuse to, uh, to make a, a new uh, era of refugees and displacement of our people. Uh, that, that, that is a very uh, 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 against the international law and against the values of humanity. Fourth and, uh, and most important, to uh, emphasize the steadfastness of our people. You know, our message yesterday and Friday, along with the masses in the Muslim Ummah and in the streets of the world, they marched after Juma prayers uh, to express the uh, solidarity with Palestine. But our message in Gaza yesterday, in, uh, during the bombardment, they came in marches in order to cherish the resistance leaders, in order to emphasize that they are rooted in this land and they will not allow a new transfer and a new displacement. So they were deserving to be appreciated and to be, uh, 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 and to be respected by the leader of resistance, Ismail Haniya. And last point is a, a message for the, uh, for the enemy that their threatening to the uh, resistance is futile because the resistance movement soldiers, they have uh, endorsed, they have created a new book in the confrontation saga in the front of this uh, uh, barbaric enemy while their through their achievements in the field, through the achievements politically, through achievements in their narrative internationally even, that we are still in a defensive state 
under the biggest crime against humanity, that is the occupation. So Tufan al-Aqsa, the flood of al-Aqsa, will swipe this enemy and this occupation. Uh, our guests are talked about uh, these uh, solidarity rallies. Uh, Samuel Hassan Abbas, uh, where you're at, uh, was one of the biggest uh, with the drone shots that we saw, block after block of what seemed to be hundreds of thousands that came out. And uh, this was uh, also a scene seen around the world, uh, which is reflective, if you agree, of the great divide that exists now between the people and their officials, wherever they are, who are supporting the Israeli regime. Tell us how significant that is. The fact that so many people turned up at such short notice tells you that people emotionally are with the Palestinian cause. Uh, no matter how many trillions the uh, Zionist regime and their allies in the West spend, and they, they spend an awful lot of money in terms of uh, false propaganda and uh, running all these kind of psychological operations to try and persuade their public that, uh, that what they're doing is, is right and that the uh, oppressor is the oppressed. That's been the target. I mean, I'll give you a, a story. My son goes on cartoons uh, time with various uh, YouTube videos. Every uh, half an hour, less than half an hour, there's a new version of Zionist propaganda aimed at children. I mean, it's shocking. That's the level that they've gone to, that they will try to indoctrinate people. Yet still, what you're seeing is millions and millions of people around the world turn out and go with their, their hearts and go with the, their humanity. And this is the key. What we're not just fighting for here is Palestinians and their right to, uh, to, to, uh, to existence. This is a question of humanity. I mean, what kind of civilization are we really looking for in the 21st century? We're meant to be moving forward. And here we've got neoliberal, neoconservative Zionists uh, trying to uh, tell us that uh, settler colonialism and imperialism of, uh, of the medieval times and onwards is okay. Well, it's not okay, and the public is saying this right across the border. And yes, protesting does have an impact. Uh, the politicians do get uh, a mm -hmm. little bit more scared. But infrastructure, you've got to understand, is systemically geared towards supporting Israel. It is systemically Zionist. Uh, you can uh, listen to people like Keir Starmer, even the opposition guy here, Rishi Sunak. Uh, here in Britain, uh, they literally, uh, uh, you know, bow at the feet of Zionist interests. And they mm -hmm. dare not say anything because the right. minute they do, they will be out, out of office. More can be done, though. I, I have to say that, uh, you know, that this is a jihad. And jihad comes with Bill Gallum, with the pen, with the voice with your, uh, with your, your general demeanor, with your attitude, in, in, in terms of the charity sure. you give towards the oppressed. There are many more ways that the public can be encouraged to, to support the, the Palestinian cause. Well, the Iranian Foreign Minister, uh, I'm sure you're uh, aware, Khalid Kadumi, uh, has been on a regional tour, and uh, he has met uh, the resistance uh, groups, in particular Hezbollah, and uh, he said, uh, but this is going back a number of hours ago, that there's still maybe time to prevent the Israeli uh, killing machine from continuing its killings. He didn't use that word, but he said time is running out. Uh, he did also say Hezbollah and resistance fighters are ready, which he called could be a political quake if they were drawn into the war. And uh, to use his words, uh, they have their hand uh, on the, their finger is on the trigger to shoot. How close are we to that? Well, uh, Israel left uh, no places without enmity. They uh, bombarded through the sovereign borders. They violated those borders. They assassinated scientists in Tunisia, 
in Malaysia, in Iran, in Iraq, in, uh, they, they uh, assassinated uh, political figures in, their, uh, in, in uniform. So they, the Hezbollah and other uh, 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 resistance movements and powers, they are in the line of, of defending them, defending themselves against those uh, Israeli atrocities. Uh, well, I would say that the field, the escalation in the field, is the one who will judge the involvement or the expansion of this battle. Uh, according to the, our spokesperson of uh, Azuddin al-Qassam Brigade Abu Ubaidah, he was saying that we are in close coordination with members of the resistance axis. Uh, hence, I would say that whenever it is required in the past, we haven't uh, uh, seen those friends, those brothers, away from whatever it is needed. Second thing, Hezbollah in particular, they, they have uh, martyrs today and, uh, uh, in the southern of Lebanon. Uh, Hezbollah and Lebanese, they have occupied territories uh, by Israeli uh, uh, criminal army. Hence, I mean, this is, uh, uh, this is very natural to be uh, rather not only Hezbollah, all Muslim Ummah in the borders has to come forward. Those governments uh, in the neighborhood of so-called Israeli entity, they need to open their borders. They might be not asking the involvement of conventional army, but the people, the masses, look at the million marches, they are all uh, having their own potential to proceed further, to do whatever they know to do. All what is needed from the official stance is to bridge this dichotomy, this, this gap between them and official stance and the masses stance. The masses today, they want to take the revenge for the killing of our innocent children inside Palestine. They want to return Al-Aqsa they want to return the Assad Palestine and back uh, and return Palestine to its own uh, uh, environment of Muslim Ummah. These, uh, 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 these sure. uh, uh, martyrdom and, and, and sacrifice being presented by the Palestinian masses deserve different approach from the Ummah uh, at, at masses level, uh, which they are doing their well, but also at the official stance. Uh, level. All right. Uh, there's a warning issued by Israel, Simosan Abbas, uh, to Hezbollah, and uh, this particular uh, official uh, said that uh, Hezbollah should not start a war on the second front to Israel's north and threatened the destruction of Lebanon if it did. Uh, what, what are we looking at when it comes to uh, this type of a warning, which sounds like it's hot air in a sense? because uh, the U.S. has also, through the U.S. President Joe Biden, has said for regional countries not to take advantage of what's happening. That, in a sense, shows that Israel can't be stretched. Is that a correct uh, um, uh, look at this? 
I think the game changes significantly if uh, Israel has to fight on two fronts. Uh, already, uh, Hezbollah has been keeping them occupied. Uh, mortar attacks were changed, uh, fire was exchanged today, missiles were exchanged. Uh, a number of uh, uh, combatants have lost. That was uh, excerpts uh, from a spotlight uh, television debate over Press TV uh, yesterday. You're listening to the Pan-African Journal Worldwide Radio Broadcast. I am your host, uh, Abayomi Azikwe. Today is Saturday, uh, October the 14th, 2023. We're broadcasting from our studios in downtown Detroit. This is a special Pan-African Journal Worldwide Radio Broadcast report on the current situation involving the seas of Gaza, the efforts for the liberation of Palestine, the unity of West Asia and North Africa. Right now, we want to listen uh, to an address uh, delivered uh, by the South African Foreign Minister, Dr. Naledi Pandor. This was at an international conference uh, held in the Republic of South Africa, uh, where the Palestinian question and the current crisis in Gaza was addressed. Uh, Let's listen in. Manda, Manda, thank you. I know the chair is worried about time, uh, so I am uh, stopping, Comrade uh, General Secretary. Uh, but I must uh, thank Comrade Irvin Jim and uh, the leadership of NUMSA for inviting me to be here uh, today. Um, when I got the message from Comrade Irvin Jim that NUMSA would consider me speaking at a conference of NUMSA, I must say initially I was very shocked uh, because I'm quite a conservative type of person. Uh, but uh, I really thank NUMSA for the invitation and the opportunity to speak about some of the work uh, that we do. I begin by thanking the comrades from Palestine who have spoken and I greet them most warmly. Welcome to South Africa. I also greet Comrade Ronnie Castro, a veteran who doesn't tire. I don't know where you get this energy. He sends me messages at 3 a.m., you must issue a statement on this. Why are you saying nothing on that? Comrade Ronnie, there you are. He takes advantage because he knew my father. He thinks that he's my father. But um, I'm very glad uh, to be here. I begin by saying the world is a very troubled place, and I don't want us to pretend uh, that it is easy. It's not. We are faced with a very challenged world. I realized this when in 2021 I was sitting in a summit of the Executive Council of the African Union, and it was whispered to me that the African Union Commission chairperson had issued an invitation to Israel to become an observer at the African Union. (coughs) Imagine my horror. I decided at that moment that I would raise my arm and would propose that this decision be rescinded. I walked around the room seeking supporters. Of the 54 nations, I got three. 
and I include Sadek in that. But I said, nevertheless, this is not going to happen. I therefore lifted my arm and said, I wish to table a matter. I have learned of this, and as South Africa, we object to it, and it must not be implemented. We want our leaders to discuss it. And we, we will never accept it as South Africa. And while we appreciate the role that the Organization of African Unity played in us achieving our freedom as South Africa, this decision of the AU Commission chairperson will make us consider whether we can be present in the African Union. I thought I would get support from many of the countries gathered in the room. But what I discovered is that countries that are oppressors, that continue to be colonial occupiers, are using financial muscle to provide grant in aid to African countries and secure the depoliticized support of African countries for these oppressive nations. Among them, Israel and Morocco. They are playing a very negative role in Africa. And comrades, I'm being frank here because you in this room, you are supposed to be trade union leaders, many of you, or you lead progressive organizations, and you are failing in your duty to convince governments in Africa and all other countries of the South that they cannot tolerate such situations. It can't be left to us as members of government to be the ones that take up these issues with no word from progressive organizations. This is intolerable and cannot continue. So I'm hoping out of this conference that you are going to decide, rise up, rise up, rise up. Don't say, what's Comrade Naledi doing? That decision on Israel hasn't been implemented, and it won't be while I'm still there. But what are you going to do? You should be talking to all progressive unions worldwide. The unions in the United States of America, weak or strong, should be making it clear to President Biden they don't appreciate his statement which has led to the slaughter we are seeing today. The union movement in the United Kingdom should be doing the same. If we know our work. I, I have no idea what has happened to our organizational capability. Because as South African leadership, our trade union movement was able to marshal under the worst oppressive chains we were able to marshal international solidarity of a kind that has not been seen since the struggle against apartheid. Where have all these progressive leaders gone and why? Why are we not able to organize? Why are we only sitting in a room as 300? There should be 3,000 here. There's something wrong and that's why I'm saying we're in a troubled world. And we need to recognize that the world has shifted. Because what has happened is in a determined fashion,
progressive values and principles have been hacked and hacked and hacked and it is now difficult to find the voice of the left. And we need to revive. We need to organize. We need to be smart. We need to be strategic. And one thing I've realized is making good speeches does not assist. I may feel good that I had the right rhetoric at that platform, but if the next day my rhetoric has not led to action, my speech was useless. So I hope out of this, NUMSA is going to lead a process where Comrade Irvin Jim and Comrade Chirwa will meet with their counterparts in all unions, whatever they are, and say as South African trade union movement, let us lead. Let us lead. Let us agree for one month, none of our unions are going to lift any Israeli goods out of any transport. Just one thing. And let us see, let us see whether our leadership has convening power or not. This week coming, a number of proposed resolutions are going to come before the United Nations. We must keep our eye on that process. We must ensure it's the right kind of resolutions. Today the people of Palestine need of help. They need medical supplies. They are unable to bandage wounds. They cannot provide help. Medicines on Frontier is doing a good job. They are absolutely there, but they are also being decimated. What are we going to do about that? Let's ask every South African, there are 62 million of us, they say. All of us must donate one thing, food or medical goods. And let us persuade an airline to take them all to the Egyptian border with Palestine and deliver those goods. Let's do something, comrades. Let's stop talking. Because the world is in a terrible place and all it needs are a few good men and women, are organizers, strategists. And not to organize because you're NUMSA only, but to organize everybody. What we have to put aside if you want to change the world are divisions between us. Because it doesn't make any sense to believe that I must be the most progressive, the most left, the most radical, and the world is suffering. The most progressive thing is to unite and get action. And that's what I hope you're going to begin to do. So anyway, on my story, on the presence of Israel as an observer in the African Union, I have managed to pause it for now with the support of my president, but it's not off the table in the AU. So again, I'm asking you, pay attention. Having said that, because I prepared very hard, I'm going to present my speech. <clears throat> and I begin by saying, one of the things we must realize is the developing South is caught in the middle of rising global tensions. I know it is not correct to speak of the South as though it's a homogenous entity. But from my experience, I can say to you, it is the region that most hopefully 
has the basis and foundation for the kind of radical shift we need. So I look to countries of the South, not the North. And I think it's important that we do that. What we are seeing in the world is an increasing pushback against the forces that seek to promote collective action, international solidarity and global cooperation. We see the re-emergence of tendencies toward right-wing nationalism, unilateralism and populism as an ongoing trend. Comrades, another assignment, engage the media. Why is it all right for a Palestinian journalist to be murdered, but it's not okay for a journalist from Canada to be murdered? What, what kind of value system is that? We've been silent about Shireen Abu Akleh. She was murdered, murdered before our eyes. The media today, since the period of the embeddedness of Iraq, totally without objectivity, except Al Jazeera, that's the only one. The rest, I'm sorry. But you need to be active proponents of an objective media that informs, that is balanced, and that tells the truth. Not a media that lies and tells you a quarter of the story. So we've got to address all these things. What we see in the globe today is widening inequality. And we know that the economy of the globe continues to deliver inequitable and unjust outcomes. Developed countries have selectively opted out of the observance of international law while they continue to insist that rules must be implemented by developing countries even at the cost of providing services to their people. Just last year, Ghana was facing an incredible financial meltdown. They approached the IMF. And this year, the IMF has suddenly reported that Ghana is going to see amazing growth after they received loans from the IMF. But nobody is examining, do the children of Ghana have classrooms? Do they have teachers in those classrooms? Are they able to go to hospital and get treatment? Are the people of Ghana getting housing? Because the first target of IMF loans is public services. So it's important that we look not just at what support is provided, but at the quid pro quos that governments have to make in order to have access to that funding. Developed countries have certainly not met their commitments to the developing world and are consistently shifting responsibility to us in the global south. You must address climate change. You must stop using coal. You must reduce emissions. You must do A, B, and C. We've developed, they had thousands of years to develop, and in a short space of time, we must arrest our development and respond to their demands. I'm not saying coal is what we should use. I'm not saying we shouldn't reduce emissions. Don't misunderstand me. But I'm saying the kinds of demands being made on developing countries 
without appropriate resource responses are actually demands that are unconscionable. So what this has led to is it's become increasingly difficult to pursue sustainable development goals. We saw this year that the Secretary General of the United Nations has in indicated that far from moving in a positive fashion, the world is actually going backwards. We now have more poverty, more inequity, more joblessness. So the fundamental crises of our time call for international responses in our view. If we accept that the world is increasingly more fragmented, it provides an opportunity for those concerned with economic justice, yourselves, to work toward creating a genuinely progressive alternative. Progressive forces around the world need to push for multipolarity and a strengthened, fairer, and more inclusive multilateralism by exerting more influence on global debates. We should not be silent. We should be having loud views. We need to make our economies work for the common good, and we need to take all the measures necessary to protect our planet. We believe that what is needed is a different kind of multilateral architecture, which is more suited to today's challenges of the world. In our own view, Comrade Ronnie, despite its inadequacies, it is our belief that the United Nations must remain the primary locus for political security and development decision-making as it remains the most representative global body, despite its shortcomings. We believe a complete overhaul of the UN system is needed so that the UN Security Council is democratized and reflects the current balance of forces in the global system. It's unacceptable, eight decades nearly after its creation, five nations still wield disproportionate decision-making power in the Security Council, and those five number among the most problematic countries in the world the causes of many of the problems I referred to today. So the overhaul of the UN system should include enforcement of decisions taken by what we hope will be a democratized UN Security Council. <clears throat> we also believe we should no longer accept a situation where countless UN resolutions are passed by the vast majority in the UN General Assembly but are merely ignored. We've had repeated calls, as Comrade Khalid has said, from UN member states for Israel to withdraw from the occupied territories to the 1967 borders. These decisions have been ignored, and instead we have witnessed the burgeoning expansion of illegal settlements on Palestinian land, growing oppression of the Palestinian people, gross violation of their human rights, and the Gaza Strip being turned into an open-air prison, regularly denied electricity, water, and fuel. The current denial is not new. It's been happening time and time and time again. 
For 16 years, Gaza has been under siege, with its people struggling to survive the ongoing land, air, and sea blockade imposed by Israel, with Palestinians denied exit and entry into the Strip. I was horrified when one of our former leaders, comrade, I don't know if I should call him comrade anymore, comrade Teralekota, said that Israel is not an apartheid state. Well, it's the Palestinians are denied free exit and entry into their own land. They do not have free movement. We didn't have free movement under apartheid. Palestinian people use separate entrances when they go through the border. We had to use separate entrances under apartheid. Palestinian children do not have free access to education. It was the same for us. So I don't know what more Israel should do for Comrade Likota to recognize that it is an apartheid state. We've seen today increased Israeli aggression under the most far-right Israeli government we've ever seen. And we've seen the inaction by the Security Council, the very body whose mandate is to maintain international peace and security. Despite the fact that the root cause of this conflict is illegal occupation, we have heard a tirade of criticism of Palestinians from Western powers and unflinching support for the occupying power. Despite the fact that I've been called all kinds of names because I refused to call Russia an occupying power of Ukraine. I have always objected to double standards. These type of double standards are the result of a global system which is skewed in favor of the powerful to the detriment of those fighting for their rights and self-determination. I repeat, it is imperative that social movements raise their voices in solidarity with the Palestinian people, particularly given the notably biased media coverage of the current violence. Within the United Nations, we have seen almost unanimous support among member states for ending the illegal economic blockade of Cuba, which is now entering its 61st year. Yet, the Cuban people continue to be denied access to life-saving medicines, essential goods, and the right to trade as any other sovereign nation. These are injustices that once more need to be taken up by the Global South and progressive forces worldwide to create a groundswell of popular support for the Cuban people as well as the people of Palestine and all oppressed people all over the world. In South Africa, as the South African Department of International, International Relations and Cooperation, we wanted to provide support to the people of Cuba after they sent an appeal to us. When our opposition parties got hold of our intention, they, through an organization called AFRI Forum, took us to court. 
and the court ruled that I must use that money for poor people in South Africa and not provide anything to the people of Cuba. Of course, I'm appealing that decision, but here's my troubling point. The progressive forces of South Africa have never spoken up in support of my fight in court. And AFRI Forum is decimating all the progressive gains we have made in South Africa, including affirmative action, and we are allowing it to happen while we live. We are also articulating calls that we should overhaul the current global financial and trade architecture. And much of the world is joining us in this call. We believe we need a fundamental reset of the Bretton Woods institutions, including the IMF, the World Bank, and the World Trade Organization. Multilateral development finance institutions need to be redesigned to respond to the challenges we are confronted with and to assist countries to meet the sustainable development goals. They must help us respond effectively to public health emergencies and to mitigate climate change. The IMF needs to be repurposed and should provide counter-cyclical lending in times of debt distress, enable debt restructuring and relief, and provide liquidity to all countries that require it. I'm raising all these things, Comrade Chira, because I believe while we should have the debates you will have in this meeting, we also must look at the real situation of the globe and determine how we interface with these challenges and address them. We are fortunate as South Africa to be part of the BRICS partnership. And in BRICS, as the BRICS countries, we've been working toward developing a more equitable, balanced, and representative global governance system. This includes the restructuring of the global financial architecture. We have built up an institution such as the New Development Bank, which we own as BRICS, and it has given us, as emerging economies, greater control over lending and greater autonomy over the progress and course of our development. As we discussed in the most recent BRICS summit, which we hosted as South Africa, the concept of countries opting to conduct trade in their own currencies is to us a welcome development. And we are now investigating how we can multiply such practice and have it available to all of us. Emerging economies are key to reforming global governance. The fact that we've had emerging economies holding the G20 presidency for the last four years is an opportunity that we should not waste as countries of the South. Indonesia held the presidency last year and brought back development issues into G20. India held it this year and sustained that focus. Brazil is assuming the G20 chair next year and we must ensure it holds the ground. And in 2025, South Africa will be chair of G20. And again, we must strengthen the progressive ground. With leading countries of the global south able to set 
the world agenda, this is an opportunity for all of us to push for real change. Let's not waste it. The demands that were made over 50 years ago by the Global South when it met as NAM that we should overhaul the rules of international trade, reform the international financial system, and recognize the sovereignty of each state over its natural resources. All of these articulated over 50 years ago are gaining momentum today. The Global South is calling for cancellation of historical debt. There must be content to our progressive agenda. Content. The issuance of new IMF special drawing rights is something South Africa has been insisting upon. The expansion of concessional development financing and technology transfer. All of these are based on the concept of the right to development which many of us have forgotten. Ironically, all of these principles form part of a declaration that the UN adopted in 1974. But this was largely disregarded by multilateral bodies that instead imposed neoliberal policies on developing countries to ensure they implement extreme trade liberalization to their people's cost. Today, developing countries, which include the Africa Group, India and Cuba, have tabled a proposal on the reform of the WTO, a proposal called Strengthening the WTO to Promote Development and Inclusivity. The proposal cites World Bank data to show that the gap in per capita GDP between the developed and developing world has widened since WTO was created and calling for special and differential treatment to be upheld in future agreements. The proposal calls for respect for the right of countries to adopt different economic models and supports diversification and development. We also require multilateral security arrangements. We need to reject military alliances that divide the world into blocks, but do not offer answers to the challenges we confront. We are seeing now the weaponization of the ocean, Indo-Pacific alliance, and so on. All of this is meant to take unipolar control of the oceans and deny us the right to peace and development which the oceans offer the world. What we need today, more than ever before, and that's why this conference is to me vitally important, we need international solidarity. There's an urgent need for this in responding to the crises confronting us. During our struggle in South Africa, the principle of international solidarity was one of the key pillars of our struggle. It was through this pillar that civil society, political parties, academia, and other sectors all over the world were mobilized to isolate the apartheid regime. 
this pillar of international solidarity made an immense contribution to our victory against apartheid to the extent that some analysts have even tried to elevate it above other very important pillars such as the underground, the armed struggle which Comrade has referred to and the mass struggle which we must never forget. These four pillars of the struggle complemented and reinforced each other to deliver the death of the apartheid regime. So again we need to revive international solidarity as a pillar. We need to revive underground as a pillar. We need to revive armed struggle as a pillar. And we need to ensure mass struggle as a pillar. The international struggle against apartheid embodied humanity's struggle against discrimination and social exclusion. Our post-apartheid South Africa has attempted to continue this tradition of active internationalism on the continent and globally. We try to play our part in the renewal of Africa, promoting South-South cooperation, engaging countries of the North in the interest of Africa, and striving for the transformation of the global system of governance. We know we benefited and we are trying to use our benefit in the interest of others. We believe that today internationalism, internationalism is going to be decisive in crystallizing new forms of organizing political forces for meaningful transformation. But as I said earlier, we need a strategic approach to the search for a better international order, one that is equitable, just, humane, inclusive, and democratic. So while I agree with BDS and the focus it has, I think we need to discuss how do we activate this in a manner that allows us to achieve the outcomes we desire and not as an illustration of our ability to organize. And I haven't yet had that strategic advice. So with the BDS uh, intervention at the ANC conference in 2017, we did indeed uh, remove an ambassador from Israel. But I haven't seen it advance the peace agenda. So how do we act together to make gains in the struggle rather than to have illustrations of action? This is the kind of strategic discussion I hope we could have at some time. I believe we need to continue as South Africa to contribute to the building of a global progressive movement for a better Africa and a better world. People need to be shaken out of complacency and distraction. Progressive forces of the left need to step in, need to provide hope and vision, and offer up concrete pathways to political action. Across the global south, the progressive community has begun to rally. We look forward to the expansion of brave, united, vibrant social movements. As the great revolutionary leader of Cuba, President Fidel Castro said, we need to unite today to build the tomorrow we yearn for, to vindicate the always excluded, and to rescue faith in humanity. I hope 
we can do this. And I thank you for listening to me.
the music of uh, Curtis Mayfield with the track entitled We Gotta Have Peace. And we're here at the Pan-African Journal Worldwide uh, Radio Broadcast for Saturday, October 14th, uh, 2023. We're broadcasting from our studios in downtown Detroit. Our principal focus uh, in this uh, episode is the siege of Gaza uh, by the the, uh, international imperialist forces led uh, by the Israeli Defense Forces, and of course, uh, the United States government, Washington, Wall Street, funding, financing, enabling the actual genocidal onslaught against the Palestinian people of Gaza throughout the entire Palestinian nation and threatening uh, to launch an imperialist reign of terror on the peoples of West Asia and North Africa. We want to rebroadcast the address delivered by Palestinian Authority, State of Palestine President Abu Abbas, just last month at the United Nations 78th General Assembly in New York City. Uh, Let's listen in. On behalf of the General Assembly, I have the honor to welcome His Excellency Mahmoud Abbas, President of the State of Palestine, and to invite him to address the Assembly. In the name of God, the most gracious, the most merciful, His Excellency, Mr. Dennis Francis, President of the United Nations General Assembly, His Excellency, Mr. Antonio Guterres, Secretary General of the United Nations, ladies and gentlemen, heads and members of delegations, may peace blessings and the mercy of God be upon you. Those who think that peace can prevail in the Middle East without the Palestinian people enjoying their full legitimate and national rights would be mistaken. Once again, I come to you carrying the cause of my people who are struggling for freedom and independence to remind you of the tragedy caused by the Nakba 75 years ago. The effects of this Nakba continue and are exacerbated by the Israeli occupation of our land. This occupation challenges your resolutions, over a thousand resolutions, in fact. This occupation violates the principles of international law and international legitimacy, while it races against time to change the historical, geographical, and demographic reality on the ground aimed at perpetuating the occupation and entrenching apartheid. Despite this painful reality, 
and 30 years after the Oslo Accords, which Israel has totally discarded, we still maintain hope that your esteemed organization will be able to implement its resolutions demanding an end to the Israeli occupation of our territory and realizing the independence of the fully sovereign state of Palestine with East Jerusalem as its capital on the borders of the 4 June 1967, as well as resolving the issue of Palestinian refugees in accordance with the resolutions of international legitimacy, especially General Assembly Resolution Number 194 and the relevant General Assembly and Security Council resolutions, all of which affirm the illegality of the Israeli occupation and its settlements, in particular Resolution 2334 and the Arab Peace Initiative. Ladies and gentlemen, as I stand before you here, the Israeli racist right-wing government continues its attacks on our people and through its army and its racist terrorist settlers continues to intimidate and kill our people, to destroy homes and property, to, to steal our money and resources, and continue to refuse to release the bodies of the martyrs. 600 bodies are being held. For what reason, I do not know. And this is done before the very eyes of the world and with complete impunity. Rather, the leaders and the ministers of this government have even been bragging about their apartheid policies that they are practicing against our people who are under occupation. The Israeli occupation government also persists in its violations of the city of Jerusalem and its people. It continues to assault our Islamic and Christian sacred sites. It violates the historical and legal status of the holy sites, especially the blessed Al-Aqsa Mosque which international legitimacy has recognized as an exclusive place of worship for Muslims alone, including the Bab al-Rahma prayer hall and the al-Buraq wall, according to a report, according to a resolution by the League of Nations in 1930. The occupying power is also feverishly digging tunnels under and around Al-Aqsa Mosque threatening its collapse or the collapse of parts of it, which would lead to an explosion with untold consequences. We have repeatedly warned against transforming the political conflict into a religious conflict for which Israel will bear full responsibility I hereby call on the international community to assume its responsibilities. 
in preserving the historic and legal status of Jerusalem and its holy sites. Specifically, the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and the Ibrahimi Mosque in Al-Khalil, Hebron. Here I wonder, why remain silent about all the fragrant violations of international law that are being committed by Israel, the occupying power? Why isn't Israel being subjected to serious accountability? Why are sanctions not imposed on it for ignoring and violating international resolutions, as is the case with other countries in the world? Why practice double standards when it comes to Israel? Why accept that Israel is a state above the law? Is it not time to answer these questions? Is it not time? For our part, we will persist with our pursuit of accountability and justice at the relevant international bodies against Israel because of the continued Israeli occupation of our land and the crimes that have been committed and are still being committed against us, as well as against both Britain and America for their roles in the fateful Balfour Declaration. Yes, America and Britain, and against everyone who had a role in the catastrophe and tragedy of our people. We will not forget history. We will not forget pain. We call for acknowledgement. We call for apology. Acknowledgement and apology. We call for reparations. We call for compensation in accordance with international law. Ladies and gentlemen, in light of the deadlock in the peace process, Due to Israel's policies, we come before you to again appeal for the holding of an international peace conference. Is this too much to ask? Hold an international peace conference in which all countries concerned with achieving peace in the Middle East will participate. Therefore, I ask your esteemed organization and the Secretary General, Mr. Antonio Guterres, to call for and undertake the necessary arrangements to convene this peace conference, which may be the last opportunity, the last opportunity to salvage the two-state solution and to prevent the situation from deteriorating more seriously and threatening the security and stability of our region and the entire world. I also call on your organization and the Secretary General to act to implement the resolutions to provide protection for the Palestinian people. We demand protection. We want to be protected from occupation, from the constant aggressions of the occupation army and the terrorist Israeli settlers. We call for support when we approach international courts and bodies with jurisdiction because the current situation is intolerable. 
ladies and gentlemen, in the face of all that Israel is doing, systematically destroying the two-state solution, it's become necessary, and in order to save the solution, to call on member states of your esteemed organization, each state in its national capacity, to take practical steps on the basis of the relevant resolutions of international legitimacy and international law. I also call on the states that have not yet recognized the state of Palestine to declare their recognition. I call for the state of Palestine to be admitted to full membership in the United Nations. There are two states that the entire world are talking about, Israel and Palestine but only Israel is recognized. Why not Palestine? I can neither understand nor accept that some states, including including America and European states, are reluctant to recognize the state of Palestine, which the United Nations has accepted as an observer state. These same states confirm every day that they support the two-state solution but they recognize only one of these states, namely Israel. Why? What is the danger posed by the state of Palestine obtaining full membership in the United Nations? What is the danger? Israel enjoys this international recognition, though it has not adhered to the conditions for its accession to the United Nations. It did not adhere. These conditions, namely, are the implementation of resolutions 181 and 194. We therefore call on your esteemed organization to take deterrent measures against Israel until it fulfills its obligations at least. That were presented in a written declaration by its Minister of Foreign Affairs at the time, Moshe Sharet. He sent a written commitment to implement these resolutions in 1949, but nothing has happened since. This request of ours is for the sake of peace and justice and out of respect for international law, international legitimacy, and this esteemed organization. Ladies and gentlemen, our people are defending their homelands and their legitimate rights through peaceful, popular resistance. This is our policy. It is a strategic option for self-defense and to liberate the land from a colonial occupation that does not believe in peace and has no regard for the principles of truth, justice, and human values. We will continue our resistance our peaceful, popular resistance of this brutal occupation until it is defeated from our land. We are managing our affairs under extremely difficult and complex circumstances as a result of the restrictions imposed on us by the occupied power. These restrictions prevent us from accessing our natural resources. The occupying power unlawfully withholds our money with no just cause. 
it continues to besiege our people in the Gaza Strip, only deepening the suffering of our people. Moreover, Israel bears full responsibility through its control over all crossing points and dividing lines between the occupied West Bank and its surroundings. It is fully responsible for these points and lines and for the deliberate spread of weapons, drugs, and criminal killings taking place in the Arab cities inside Israel these days. Every day there's a case of murder that Israel is responsible for, part of which is spilling over into our areas, thus creating a great threat to the social security of Palestinians everywhere in our territory. Allow me here to tell you that as long as we continue to suffer under the abhorrent Israeli occupation, we will continue to need financial assistance from the international community. When the occupation ends, we will thank you for your help. In addition to the crucial provision of financial support to the United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Palestine Refugees, UNRWA, it is in dire need so that it could support the refugees. We are thankful to the international community for the support it has given us to build our state and our economy. And we look forward to the continuation of this support until the occupation ends. Help us get rid of the occupation and we would be able to rely on ourselves. Ladies and gentlemen, our state institutions are engaged in a comprehensive development and reform process. And in this context, they are cooperating with international institutions and with partners in the region and the world. Recently, we held local elections and elections for institutions, federations, unions, and others. There's a specialized committee to develop the justice sector in Palestine. Civil society is also playing its role in adding vitality to our political system. All that remains is for us to hold democratic general elections as conducted in 1996, 2005, and 2006. We held elections, but since then we have been unable to hold these elections. Why? because the Israeli government is obstructing this by its decision to prevent elections from being held in East Jerusalem. In the first three rounds of elections, elections were allowed in East Jerusalem. They were not stopped, despite the significant interventions by many countries and regional and international organizations, which we appreciate, to enable our Palestinian people in Jerusalem to vote and run as candidates in these elections. Today, we renew our rejection of any position holding us responsible for not convening these elections, which are a Palestinian necessity that we want 
today before tomorrow. We want elections, but we want them to be held in East Jerusalem. Why is Israel stopping us from doing so? Please ask it. In the face of this intransigent position of the Israeli government, we will continue to approach the relevant international bodies to hold the Israeli government accountable and force it to allow us to hold these elections that are long overdue. Ladies and gentlemen, I participated in May on the commemoration of the 75th anniversary of the Palestinian Nakba of 1948, a tragedy recognized by this August organization. This painful anniversary continues to be ignored and denied by Israel, which is the party that is primarily responsible for this Nakba. I call upon you today to criminalize this denial criminalize the denial of the Nakba and designate the 15th of May of each year an international day to commemorate the anniversary of the Nakba, to commemorate the lives of the hundreds of thousands of Palestinians who were killed in massacres committed by Zionist gangs. Palestinians whose villages were demolished and who were forcibly displaced from their homes the number of these refugees reached 950,000 people, 950, people in 1948, constituting more than half of the Palestinian population at the time. This is the least that the United Nations should do to honor these victims and to condemn this human tragedy, to commemorate the anniversary of the Nakba in 1948. Ladies and gentlemen, for several years now, we have presented our Palestinian narrative, the story of our people that has been deliberately distorted by the Zionist and Israeli propaganda. We are relieved that the peoples of the world and many countries in the world have started to believe our narrative and sympathize with it after having been misled for decades. We also thank all those who contributed to sharing this narrative and supporting it and sympathizing it. We thank people of conscience everywhere in the world who today stand up for Palestinian rights. We want and we thank support for our people's struggle for freedom and independence. Ladies and gentlemen, my message today to the Israelis is that this hideous occupation that is imposed on us will not last, regardless of their ambitions and their delusions, because the Palestinian people will remain on their land, which they have inhabited for thousands of years, 
one generation after the other, as again confirmed by a recent UNESCO resolution on the city of Jericho, which has existed for 10,000 years. The Palestinians cannot leave their land, and if anyone must leave this land, then it must be the occupier. The occupier should leave, not the people of the land. We will stay in our land. My message to the international community is that it should assume its responsibilities with full courage and implement its resolutions to realize Palestinian rights. We ask for no more than that. Realize our rights. Implement our resolutions. 1,000 resolutions have been adopted. We are asking to implement just one. Just one resolution. Finally, I address all of our people in Palestine, in the refugee camps, in the diaspora, and every place in this vast world. I address you with the highest expressions of appreciation and gratitude for your steadfastness, for upholding your just cause and your rights. I pay tribute to our righteous martyrs and our brave prisoners and our heroic injured people. And I say to everyone, a right is never lost when there is a demand behind it. Victory is ours. We will celebrate the independence of our state in Jerusalem, our eternal capital, and the crown jewel, and the flower of all cities. They see it as impossible, and we see it as inevitable. God willing, peace and mercy and blessings be upon you. On behalf of the Assembly, I wish to thank the President of the State of Palestine for the statement just made. And I request protocol to escort His Excellency. Excellencies, distinguished delegates, the Assembly will continue its consideration of agenda item entitled General Debate. The Assembly will now hear an address by His Excellency Charles Michel, President of the European Council of the European Union. I request protocol to escort His Excellency. That was uh, the President of the State of Palestine, uh, Mahmoud Abbas, speaking last month at the United Nations General Assembly, 78th session in uh, New York City on the Palestinian question. We'll take a break. We'll be back with some concluding remarks for uh, the Pan-African Journal Worldwide Radio Broadcast.
Love uh, with the track entitled The Daily Planet. We're going to close out with Abby Lincoln. Straight ahead, this is Abayomi Azikawe for the Pan-African Journal. Have a beautiful week.
Joseph, drop that box and hear me. Manzie, make that child keep still. Can't you hear the echoes calling from the valley to the hill? Let me listen, I can hear it through the brush of angels' wings. Soft and sweet, swing low, sweet chariot when Melinda sings.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.